So I can tell you when I was a child, I definitely had vivid, colorful dreams. I remember them, first off, because I, I used to have really just powerful, memorable, realistic dreams when I was a child. But in my adult life, I haven't really paid attention to color, but they have changed. Like, a lot of them feel more like situational and flickers of moments, and primarily they are conversations with people. Um, oh, interesting. Like, I'm having, I'm dreaming about talking to people, which I know is shocking to the world, but. <laughs> you are so quiet and never talk. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is my brain making up for all that talkative energy I don't get out. But I don't know. You know, I I have had bigger situational dreams, and a lot of them are, like, stupid fears I have. Like, I'm really afraid of being lost. Like, my worst nightmare is not to have a cellular connection. I can't get my GPS to work, and I'm trying to drive to a location where I have an appointment time and I have about 10 minutes to get there. Like, that is a nightmare, and I have that dream sometimes. Oh, I see. I'm the opposite. I, first of all, dear listeners, you missed the part where we were talking about sex dreams and I said I don't dream in color. So there's probably something wrong with my brain. Um, but I never have dreams like that. Like my anxiety dreams are like zombies or creatures or like I'm in a war zone and I'm killing people. Like they're very cinematic and like very, very many monster dreams. And, or like dreams where like we're living in a bunker and we're starving and we have to go find food. That's like, and then I wake up and I'm like, there's something that's causing you anxiety in life. Like you need to figure this out. And I have a lot of dreams where I'm like traveling like endlessly in trains and cars, but I it's so rarely have like, I'm just having a conversation with people dream, unless one of them's naked apparently. <laughs> well, you, at least your sex dreams like have some, is that, is that verbal foreplay? I don't know. Oh, God, who knows? Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to talk about your sex treatments anymore? <laughs> no. Um, nope. Nope. Neither of them. Nope. I'm Emily. And I'm Jennifer. And welcome to All Things Terror. This is a podcast that we are amateurs and we tell you things that scare us or terrify us or just about things that are generally in the world unsettling and not comfortable yeah uncomfortable is a good a good way to describe that especially when we start off our conversation talking about sex dreams <laughs> so i will so, say this you... one thing and we can oh. move on from dreams last thing i promise okay i feel like everyone has had some sort of variation of this dream but it's interesting how some sort of universal stress dream is you have a class, whether you realize you're taking that class or you're not taking that class, and you have assignments due, and you realize all of a sudden that you haven't done the assignments, and also you're running late for that class, and you're probably going to fail. For me, it was okay. the math class that I forgot I signed up for. This is why I think there's something broken with my brain. I've never had that dream, and I'm a teacher. I should constantly be dreaming about that. No, I am a monster. I dream about my teeth falling out and, like, teeth, like, pull, like going, why is my tooth hurt? And then I just pull out, like, bloody bones. Yeah, that's a normal one. That's a normal one. My brain is very metaphorical. It does not go literal at all in dreams. Maybe you're, you're anxious about 
your physical integrity, and I'm just terrified of people being disappointed with me. Hmm. Well, I, you know, I think it's that I don't like or am good with feelings in real life, and that extends into my sleeping life where they're like, well, she can't handle, like, sadness, so let's just have a dream where her arm falls off or something. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're basically, this is pot kettle talking about emotions and not dealing with them. Yeah. Well, uh, listeners, tell us about your dreams, your nightmares. Your sex dreams. Especially your sex dreams. Yeah. I mean, especially if we don't know you, because I'm assuming that most of the people listening are people we know in real life. I'm going to have mixed feelings about hearing about your sex dreams, but I still want to hear them. Uh, <laughs> but just know that's that's a plateau of friendship we can't, we can't scale back from. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Do we have a hashtag for this? Hashtag listeners tell us your sex dreams. I also, this is totally different, but do you know the comedian John Mulaney? Um, no, tell, tell me about John Mulaney. Uh, he's funny. He has some Instagram, or Instagram, Netflix specials. And I had a dream once that I was dating him. It was not sexy. He was just like my boyfriend. And he was a really great guy. Like, he seems like a great guy in real life. But in dream time, which is normally populated by, like, monsters and bony, bloody shards coming out of my mouth, um, he was just, like, very courteous and polite and, like, fun to be around. So I had a a romantic, non-sexual, non-physical dream about John Mulaney that was very pleasant. And had nothing to do with... Instagram specials, which I want to know what are Instagram specials now. <laughs> our Instagram special is hashtag listeners tell us your sex dreams. <laughs> no, no, please don't put any pictures of that up. No, yeah, no, the special is just, it's all words, uh, it's no pictures. You know, even if it was sexy to you when you retell it, it just sounds hilarious. So this could be. And probably terrifying. Let's be real. So, Emily, do you have a story for me, or do you want me to yes. tell you my story? Uh, yeah, both. I'm excited about this one. Uh, it's also, if you are hardcore into this topic, this might drive you insane. So, also, maybe hashtag tell us your theory. Uh, but, so, I want to tell you why I'm getting into this story and why I want to do it right now. If you listen to our interlude, we talk about books that we've been really interested in. And one of the ones that we talked about was they recently caught the Golden State Killer because of familial DNA. And then they resubmitted the Zodiac Killer's DNA to see if they can find him. And Jennifer, when I texted you and told you this, you had (laughs) the best reply ever. You you just texted back, what a time to be alive. Uh, no punctuation whatsoever. Uh, so I just imagine you like just waking up or like being very depressed and yet still being like, I marvel at this world around us. Um, I'm, in- I'm inspired. I'm inspired by life. I'm inspired. Uh, maybe tomorrow I will brush my teeth. Yeah. Or, well, I brush my teeth when I'm depressed, but not my hair. So maybe tomorrow I will brush my hair. Hair is serious business. If you're not brushing your hair, that's, you know, that's dark times. Yeah, yeah. My my depression is, like, very – my hair just gets strange and ratty, among other things in your life when you are suffering from depression. Uh, but the hair 
is just a funny image. I mean, funny. I don't I, <laughs> I think it's funny. Everyone else is probably like, is she okay? <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that has nothing to do with anything. The story that I want to talk about is not the Zodiac Killer necessarily, but theories about the Zodiac Killer, which is a little different. So okay. was that a question or just like a, let's go? Yeah, let's go. If you don't know about the Zodiac Killer, first of all, where have you been? Are you a human? Um, are you a robot? Everybody knows about this. Even if you don't know about it, you do know about it. But I'll give you a brief rundown. And also, you should watch David Fincher's movie Zodiac, which is on Netflix. And it really captures the creepy, like, sort of paranoid atmosphere of San Francisco while this is going on. Um, and it also follows, like, this nonfiction book, which is, like, the cornerstone of Zodiac information. Also, to be fair, most of my Zodiac facts come from that movie. <laughs> so, so I'm not just treating it like a documentary. <laughs> really the most credible resource of all time. Yeah. Also, everyone, I've heard like, oh, Mark Ruffalo, what a dreamboat. And I did not get it until I saw this movie and he's in it. And you're like, oh, yeah, now I get it. So anyway, it's on Netflix. Check it out. Zodiac. Are there any uh, hashtag Mark Ruffalo? Roof, oh God, I cannot say his name. That guy, sex dream, hashtags anywhere? Hashtag Mark Ruffalo sex dreams. Listeners, tell us your Mark Ruffalo sex dream. <laughs> I, listen, that is not my sex dream, but it, not for lack of trying, one. And two, certainly someone somewhere has had a sex dream about Mark Ruffalo and is also going to listen to this. Hopefully it's not Mark Ruffalo listening to this right now. If it is. I'm sorry. I think you have children, so that feels weird. Your dad. Anyway. Um, uh, so the Zodiac Killer, which is the real point of this. So he was active from 68 to 69. <laughs> Talking about sex dreams. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Hold um, on. But uh, don't. Yeah. We just, iTunes is like. Everyone unsubscribe. Nobody wants to listen to this again. All our reviews are gonna be like they made they made a sixty nine joke. It's terrible. <laughs> please please continue. Okay. So the Zodiac Killer has five kills to his name. He claims around thirty. It's very famous. So he would generally attack couples who were out like making out, like make out point in your car or on a picnic. He would make the couples like tie each other up or he would make the woman tie up the man. And then he would stab them to death, which is ugh, very intimate and creepy. And also probably evidence that he hates sex dreams. He does. Yeah, he definitely hates sex dreams. Or he has very, very unpleasant, scary ones. He, speaking of which, thank you. That is an excellent transition. He would stab the woman a lot more, like he overkilled her. So I think out of like all these attacks, one man survived like being stabbed a bunch and one woman survived, but that was when he had a gun. So there are other times where he had a gun as well. What the Zodiac is most famous for are two things. One is that he sent letters um, to newspapers in San Francisco area. I think one was the San Francisco Chronicle, taunting police, and those letters were in code. Um, and they were really, really hard to break. And there are actually some theories that think some people think the codes haven't been solved. They were these, they were handwritten letters, and the codes were like these little symbols. And the people who cracked the code, there were some symbols left over. So that's why some people think maybe they haven't been decoded properly. 
And two, the case was very famously unsolved. And one of the things that they point to a lot is that these murders were in different counties and different jurisdictions, and they didn't communicate or cooperate very well. And so they often point to this case as one where it's like, well, if police communicate, then things are good. But that's why he got away. But anyway, blah, 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 blah. Um, That's the Zodiac killings in a nutshell. So what... To me, I am interested in is that there are lots of really weird little theories about who he is, and those are fun and interesting, and that's what I want to talk about. Yeah, Zodiac is kind of interesting, right, because his total body count is definitely on the lower end from other serial killers in history, but he is so notorious, and it, it really is his interaction with the police and the media that, like, made him into this thing of epic proportions. Yeah, I agree. And I think, too, like a lot of serial killers are so brutal and so gross that it's like goes to a darker, like torture porn kind of area to talk about them. But Zodiac is, because he doesn't have so many kills, there's something that it just doesn't feel as like icky. And also the fact that it's unsolved, so you can imagine that he killed in different jurisdictions because he was that smart and he planned ahead, and not that he was just some stupid guy that got lucky or whatever. Because whenever there's an unsolved murder, you know, you you create this supervillain in your head, but it's just never that. You know, it's just a human. Like, that's the the big letdown of, of a case being solved, letdown in air quotes, is that they're a human and... And they're just a human who did monstrous things. They're not an actual monster, which I think that that tension between those two is, is what keeps people hanging on in some ways. Right. He he's he has somehow moved into the realm of myth, but it's interesting too. You bring up a point about like some of the, you know I'm glad we haven't exactly talked about all of these people yet, but yeah, there there are some serial killers that are just what they did was horrific beyond belief and. You know, if you ever watch Survivor shows where victims talk about surviving some of these people, it's just, I can't even imagine being in their place. But, you know, Zodiac is also interested in the fact that he's pretty much, like, very direct and down to the point of murdering. It's like, I'm going to shoot you, I'm going to stab you, these are things I'm going to do. It's not going to get yeah. any more extensive outside of this. Yeah, he does not, like, torture people. It is really, so, actually, keep this in mind. It's going to tie into some of the things that I said. So the letters, he talks about wanting to hunt people, and that's kind of how he acts. Like, he's like a hunter, like, oh, I just got to kill this animal, which isn't okay, but it is this idea of, like, we think serial killers is like, oh, you know, they're, they're like, getting boners off of, like, you know, stabbing someone in their nose 500 times or whatever creepy, weird, strange thing is going on. But he wasn't like that. He was kind of like, oh, I'm going to hunt people, uh, which is creepy. But then also it, it removes some of that, like, gore. I don't I don't know how to describe that. Yeah, maybe gore. It, it is yeah. less gory. It's also just as a as woman a little less uncomfortable, but maybe that's just me. Yeah. So one of the things that I want to say is he would approach people with a flashlight and then, like, a firearm balanced on top of it. So people would be, like, blinded in the eyes, and then he would, like, shoot them. And that, to me, sounds like a cop or ex-military, uh, which is my own personal little theory. And I'm sure many people have thought of this on their own, but that's what it reminds me of. 
Uh, and I also want to say there are so many serial killers that have military backgrounds. Did you know this? How many serial killers have military backgrounds? I can think of three off the top of my head. Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, the Golden State Killer that they just arrested. And he was ex- he was a cop when he was killing people, allegedly, I guess. And this guy called Israel Keys. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he is very creepy. Uh, oh, my gosh. There are others that I cannot remember. We really need to talk about the Green River Killer. <sighs> yeah, I just finished a book about him. Holy shit. But the Green River Killer, again, is one of those ones where in some ways he was really careful and in some ways he was just lucky. It was just stupid, like not stupid of the police, but it was just like stupid coincidence and circumstance that they didn't catch him earlier. Like there are a lot of technology that helped them catch him when they did. But, um, yeah, it's just like that's what I'm saying. Like you think they're these like master criminal masterminds. And Gary Ridgway was definitely like, okay, you know what? Never mind. I'm not getting it. I'm getting like, no, we can't. We can't. We can't. We can't. can't. Not right now. Hold it. Hold it together. (laughs) So Emily's like, you know what? Preview, but seriously, we're going to do this. All right. Here's the three theories that I have for the Zodiac Killer. Who gives a shit about him? Let's just talk about Green River all the time. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, (laughs) No. So the first thing that I want to say is it's my favorite theory about who the Zodiac Killer really is aside from my own one that he's ex-military ex-cop because also like this idea of like you go up to someone and you have some authority to be like hey pay attention to me tie him up and then they listen to you that feels very like I have training and telling people what to do but aside from that so the next theory is it's really bonkers and really silly um I don't think it's real but I like it just because of how, uh, like, conspiracy theory it is, kind of. So, have you ever heard of the Texarkana Moonlight Murders? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yeah, so the Texarkana Moonlight Murders are also unsolved murders, also of people, like, couples at Lover's Lane-type locations, also by someone wearing a mask who would tie the people up. I think he made the woman tie the man up, dressed like Zodiac, and I believe he stabbed them but he like why this is there are two reasons why this is not real one he would sexually assault people which zodiac did not do uh and two he would have been like he would have had to be very young in texarkana and then very old in san francisco so the texarkana moonlight murders was a phantom slayer were in the spring of 1946 and then Zodiac, as we will forever remember, was 1969. <laughs> yeah. You don't deserve anyway. friends. <laughs> you don't deserve friends. <laughs> I will never not say that number without making a very stupid joke. Our good friend Emily Heyman's one time told me that my inner child is a frat boy, and that might be the most accurate thing anyone's ever said about me. <laughs> well, you know, the running theory is that I am a bro, so that makes sense why we're, like, BFF. Interesting. Interesting. So, anyway, so that's, like, a span of, what is 1946 to 69? <laughs> like, 33 years. You would have to be, like, let's say you're 20 in Texarkana, and then you're 50 in San Francisco. So, it's plausible, but not very airtight. 
uh, and also, like, the Texarkana ones are much, they have, like, more things going on in them. And Zodiac, it feels, like, if they were reversed, if Zodiac killings were in 1946 and then Texarkana was in 69, <laughs> I would believe that. But the Texarkana ones still ramped up. So I don't think that's the same guy, but that's, like, if you read a murder mystery, it would be the same guy. Like, that's not real life, but that's a good story that's kind of like um uh what was his name give me a second like arthur lee allen you're not going to talk oh, about yeah. him are you yeah uh, i well, am like, actually going to talk about him arthur lee allen okay arthur lee allen is the favorite of robert graysmith who wrote a book um and that book is what zodiac the movie the dennis finch movie is based off of the book surprisingly called Zodiac, or sorry, the movie. Uh, yeah, the Listen, book and I, movie, I think, are both called Zodiac. <laughs> okay, so anyways, Robert Robert Lee Allen, please take over, because I can't wait to talk about him. Oh, Arthur Lee Allen. So, Robert Graysmith was the cartoonist at one of the newspapers that started getting letters from Zodiac, and he got really obsessed with this, and ended up writing a book, which is kind of considered this cornerstone of Zodiac lore or whatever. So that's Graysmith's book. And Graysmith's favorite suspect was Arthur Lee Allen, which I think is a pseudonym. Uh, is it? I think so. So there's a lot of things that make him sound like a really good suspect. He lived around all the attacks in California. He sometimes didn't have alibis for when they were. His friends, I think, originally reported him to the police because he talked about wanting to kill people. He used Zodiac as, like, a name or something. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. He flashlight no. and the firearm thing. I know. I know what it is. So, Okay. Can, I'm sorry. I don't want to hijack your story, but he wore a Zodiac brand watch. That was yes. The he thing. wore exactly. He wore a Zodiac brand watch, and they think that some of that that's where the name and some of like the little symbols came from because the symbols are just random. He also owned the same caliber of gun that was yep. used in one just one of the Zodiac shootings. I mean, honestly, how many caliber of guns are there out there? Because like you can buy all of them, and then you can somehow be you know, linked to a murder because you happen to own a gun of the same caliber of the murder. Yeah, I honestly don't know how many calibers of guns there are. But that's one thing that's also, I think, another reason why people like the Zodiac, not like, but find it interesting, is that he changed up and, like, did different things. Yeah, he um, did not have, his M.O. was very, like, M.O. light. M.O. light, yeah. He was drinking the M.O. beer with less calories, possibly a little lime in there. Is it still beer? We don't know. That's how his M.O. was. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you'd like to think about it this way, it is the Olena of killers. The what? Do you remember that Olene bullshit where it was, like, you can fry your chips in this, and it's, like, zero calories. Oh, yeah. Olena. Yeah, didn't that give people diarrhea? Yeah, terrible diarrhea. <laughs> I bet, you know, to be fair, I bet the Zodiac Killer also gives people terrible diarrhea in many different ways. So, you yeah. know, fair enough. And also possibly had very bad diarrhea. Listen, if I had chronic very bad diarrhea... I can understand being driven to kill people. Like, you people are in between me and a toilet. This is going to happen. I will kill you to get to that toilet. Um, <laughs> fair. I don't know. I've seen you angry over food, so I believe that. Yeah, and food 
oh yeah. Uh all things fair guys where we talk about poop and sex dreams. <laughs> we, so, we are two very classy people. We are. Employ us, date us, give us money. <laughs> Vote us in the office. No, please don't do that. Blah blah blah. Arthur Lee Allen. He is also ex Navy. He was yes. dishonorably discharged from the Navy. Yeah. He was angry at women. He didn't have, like, a girlfriend or wife. And remember, Zodiac would kill them a lot more. He had some weird child sex crime. Like, he did sex crimes to children, not that they did them to him. Um, he was a school teacher that got fired from his job amid sexual misconduct allegations. But I don't know too many details about that. I don't either. You you are all up on this Arthur Lee Allen stuff. Because it's not like I've ever been obsessed with Zodiac or anything, just saying. <laughs> well, you might school me on this because I just like the wacky theories about Zodiac. That's my favorite thing about it. So that has happened. The other thing you said that he had the same gun, he also had the same typewriters that one of the Zodiac letters was written on. So some of them are handwritten, some of them are typed. But handwriting experts said that Arthur Lee Allen's handwriting did not match Zodiac's, and there was some sort of weird DNA sample um, but that did not match his. Do you know why his handwriting didn't match Zodiac's? Is it because he's switching hands? He is ambidextrous. Oh, shit, that's right. I want to be ambidextrous so bad. When I was in grade school, when I would get bored, I would write with my left hand to see if I could become ambidextrous. Did not work. Do you know who else is ambidextrous? Are you going to say Daniel? No, I am. It's me. What? You can write with both your hands? Yes. I broke my shoulder in, I don't know, some grade in high school. I'm too drunk to think about it right now. I'm not the one who drinks heavily. It never has sex dreams. I've, I've never had a sex dream in my life. Okay, this is like, <laughs> I was the one who was very uh, uncomfortable with all of this, and yet I'm the one that keeps bringing it up. Like, why am I torturing myself this way? It's a way to control it. You know, if you admit your shame, then you own the shame, some bullshit like that. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, I broke anyway. my shoulder in high school, and I had to learn how to write with my, my left hand because I was right-handed. And actually, it turned out it was very easy for me to learn how to write with my left hand. So did you, does your handwriting, how similar or different is it? Uh, my left handwriting is very different from my right hand handwriting, but TBH, I can change my my handwriting. Like, I have multiple handwriting. So you've probably seen this. I have, like, an artistic font. I have a scribble font. I have a this is my normal, I'm too lazy to think about it font. I'm pretty good at handwriting. Yeah, I don't know how much I believe the idea of handwriting analysis because I handwrite things a lot and I think my handwriting is fairly consistent, but I'll find things and be like, what is this? Who wrote that? And then I'll be like, oh, I wrote this. Or like, I keep a journal that's handwritten. And even within that, it changes. So I don't know, or like if you're writing fast or you're writing slow or like you're writing a birthday card and you're trying to be more legible. Like, even for non-criminal reasons, people's handwriting changes all the time. So I don't know how much I buy the idea that you could look at a note and say conclusively that it was written by this other person. Well, and you know, your handwriting at age 12 isn't the same as your handwriting as at age 35. Oh, sure. Or even like 25 and 35, it changes. So I don't know. It's dubious. It's dubious for sure. Dubious is an excellent word uh, for everything that's happening here. So Arthur Lee Allen, same typewriter, handwriting, that is sort of a guy. 
But this is our next theory, which is actually one that I just semi-recently found out about, and it blows my mind, um, which is the idea that there actually is no Zodiac Killer. Okay. So dramatic <laughs> pause. Hold on. Back up. There is no Zodiac. Yeah. So you know how I said that his MO changed? That's because he was different people. Or, theoretically, the other theory, and there's these are sort of go together, is that there was a guy who killed people, but the letter writer and the killer are not the same person. So, of your three theories, which do you think is most plausible? Well, let me tell you what I think is interesting about this last one. Because I think it's interesting, but I also think it has a bigger issue. So, one of the things that they talk about is that one of the reasons why they say the Zodiac Killer has to be the Zodiac Killer. Um, and, you know, people falsely confess or write in letters and say, I'm the killer all the time. And Zodiac has tons of people who confess, and then they were like, there's no way you could possibly be him or her. <laughs> but let's be real. It's not him. Anyway, so one of the things that they say is that in the letters he talks about things that were not reported on. But, like, one of the first letters says, oh, I killed those other people in this other, con- like, the other county. And he takes credit for that. And that's one of the things that they say, well, this has to be the killer because why would someone in, in San Francisco be writing about this? But it was reported on. So he wasn't, like, telling them stuff that was secret. It was just like, well, it would be semi-unlikely unless you lived in a local place and read that. So, it is possible, like, there's very little information in the letters that you can't have gotten from the newspapers reporting on these murders. There is one letter, and this is actually, I think, the last Zodiac killing, where, and it's very weird because, you know, Zodiac always attacked couples. Um, it was a cab driver in San Francisco, and Zodiac shot him and then, like, ran off and sent a letter to the newspaper with a piece of the bloody shirt from the cab driver. But one of the problems that they've talked about is that it's not clear when that shirt was taken off the guy that got killed, if that cut was even there. And I listened to this podcast where the guy was saying, you know, it actually doesn't make sense. You know, the driver was on the driver's side. The Zodiac killer was on the right-hand passenger side. You know, there were witnesses who heard the shots and saw someone run away right away. The timing, he would have to, like, flip the driver over, and he wasn't found that way. Um, there's no mention of the cut in evidence, blah, blah, blah. And then the um, other thing is that evidence wasn't as tightly controlled as it used to be. So, uh, and in this podcast I listen to, and I'll link to it in our show notes and stuff, but um, they said that in the 70s, cops were not very good at typing, and so a lot of times they would have reporters type up their instance reports, and that's where reporters would get their scoops. Or, you know, reporters would just show up or, or track cops, talking about Jerry Ridgeway again. Um, they were so all over that case that it was actually really hard for the cops to, like, do some stuff at some point. So it's possible, actually, that someone could have gotten to the shirt, snipped a piece off of it, and then sent the letter later, which gets up this idea that the people who could have accessed information or, or sent these letters, like, it could have actually been Robert Graysmith, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie, by the way, um, or the psychologist who kind of consulted on it, because they had access to all of the cases, um, and they could have said, like, hey, yeah, it's us. I think this is interesting, this idea that the letter writer is the psychopath that's separate from the killer. I think that's really plausible. I don't think it's plausible that it's, like, Robert Graysmith, because what would be the motive of that? I don't. I haven't looked into this too much, and maybe you know about it, but there's apparently some 
factual inaccuracies in Robert Grayson's book. And again, he was a cartoonist. He wasn't a journalist. And so the idea was that, like, he wasn't doing it maliciously, but he was just that careless in this thing that he was obsessed with. Like, he would not have been careful enough to actually write the letters and get away with it. Well, I mean, if you think about, like, the purest intent of satire, right, which is basically to, like, bring a mirror right in front of the face of society, right? I mean, Jesus, I mean, it's incredibly cruel and would be, like, a waste of hours and manpower and taxes, which, like, pointing out of all that anyway would be beyond satire. Just being, like, look at all, look at waste in general, look at bureaucratic waste. But then to create an indecipherable code to create all these contacts with media and police just to point out the strangeness and unreasonability of, like, what people think serial killers are, the cult behind serial killers. I mean, that would be the ultimate act of satire, right? Yeah, but also this is in 1969. Like, if this was happening today, I would say you're absolutely right. But, like, in 1969, they barely even had the idea of a serial killer. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's not true. Come on. There were serial killers before this. We have historical serial killers. We just didn't give a name to these people, right? Yeah. Well, we didn't have a name to it. And, well, oh, my gosh. Have you seen David Fincher coming up again, the Mindhunter on Netflix? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, where they started thinking, like, oh, serial killers is, like, this compulsion and, like, this psychological thing. Like, I think that was new. Well, that and the idea of, like, escalation, that was also kind of not thought of. Like, they're like, oh, he just beat someone up, NBD. Okay, so let's think about it. Um, There's Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary? What? Well, you know, I'm thinking about, like, things that describe serial killers without calling them serial killers. Jack the Ripper has kind of always been a big deal. There's this lady, her name was, like, Lodicus or something like that. I have to, like, look it up, but Elizabeth she's Bathory? basically Elizabeth Bathory. There's this chick in, like, early Rome. I swear to God, I cannot remember her name right now. But, like, she was known for poisoning a bunch of people. But then it, when it came to, like, having, having to poison an emperor as a favor, she got forgiven for her crimes. And then, like, Nero was her BFF. And, like, she poisoned his brother for him and some other shit. She was a serial poisoner. Like, her MO was like, I poison you, you die, it's cool, I move on in life. Oh, God, what was her name? Did she get paid for this? Because in that case, she's not a serial killer. She's a professional assassin. No, she just fucking did this. And when people (laughs) found out, like, she's good at poisoning people, like, the government at Ham was like, yeah, I need that bitch. Can I? Um, Yeah. Hold on. I know she's a criminal, but just give me a second. I need to So I need you to kill my brother. I want to be Could she be? Things are complicated. Could she be a summer intern for us? If she were still alive, yes, maybe. But, like, you know, serial killers have always existed. Yeah. It's not like they went unnoticed, but we understood what they were. We just didn't give them a name. Mm. I think, actually, that people don't think – I think people didn't think that there were, like, predators, like serial killers. That people were like, oh, man, this guy killed one lady. Well, shucks. But the idea that he was killing many ladies over many years and would never stop, I think that's actually kind of dickish. You know, maybe. I can buy that. Maybe police have always known this, but do does the public? Maybe that's a different question. You know, that's what makes zombies terrifying, right, is that humans are no longer at the top of the food chain. So a serial killer is terrifying, right, because they are primary predators where we are technically sheep all the time, no matter what. 
What? You think zombies are terrifying because they're apex predators? I think that they are part of what makes zombies terrifying. I think there's a lot of things about zombies being terrifying. Like, for example, being reanimated and not actually having control of any of your human sensibilities, that's terrifying. And oh, um, see, I've never thought becoming a zombie. Well, I think, yeah, that's true. That's a big part of, like, when you get bit and then people hide and they're like, no, I'm not going to do it. But then they do. I always thought zombies were terrifying, one, because of, like, the claustrophobia. Like, your classic Romero zombies move really slowly. So, like, they're okay. They're not that scary. It's just if you don't pay attention to them. So it's just, like, high anxiety all the time and, like, don't get trapped. But that also depends on what type of zombie you're talking about. Like, if you're talking about, like, Judeo-Christian biblical zombie that, like, moves slow and has no <laughs> thought process, then, like, yes. It's like, and it's like, oh, shit, I got bit. Come on, a Judeo-Christian zombie is Jesus, and he came back totally fine. Never mind. We're going to take that back. (laughs) Wait, I I have a question about this now that I... First of all, let me just say I was not raised in a church. Um, I'm fairly ignorant of Christian things, which is hilarious. But so, like, Jesus died and then came back, right? And then did he just, like, live to be 80 and die of natural death? Like, what happened after that? Like, I know he did miracles and stuff, but, like, is that just, like, an open book? Is there is there an ending? Um, We'll, we'll leave that to people who know more than we do. My point like, is, is that there is, there are the religious based zombies like zombies based on religion where it's like um reanimated corpses is actually part of like the apocalypse and like bad things happening in the world stuff so i guess. do know shockingly a lot about the book of revelations because that shit is hilarious so but if you move past the biblical zombies you have like the new zombies these are like 28 days later zombies that have some level intelligence that move quickly and are spread by virus and it's just like oh my god Emily, we did it again, and I'll have to connect this later. But basically, something else. Are you else, talking about zombies? Yes. Something, kind of. Something else other Are you talking than about Jesus? <laughs> oh, my God. How did you know? But anyways, like, something else other than the self is controlling the self. And it brings in the whole question of what humanity is, what it means to be a body, what it means to be mortal. Does mortality even matter? Zombies are terrifying because it eats at the core of everything that means to be human, yeah, including well, being the top predator. Yeah, well, and that's also the idea of, like, the best zom- like the best monsters that get brought up again and again and again, like zombies and Dracula, like vampires and Frankenstein. It's because it makes us question what it means to be human, and we can read whatever anxieties we want onto them. George Romero, who is, in my mind, and always will be the apex of zombie lore, um, like, his early movies, like, Night of the Living Dead, was about, like, racism. And then I think Dawn of the Dead is in a shopping mall, and it's all these anxieties about consumerism, like, taking over. And these movies were made in the 60s and the 70s, and those were real concerns. And then he did Diary of the Dead, where social media was becoming a thing, and that's, like, a role. And so, yeah, like, not only does it make you question what it means to be human in general, but then you also, like, whatever we're most afraid of 
becomes the monster too. Anyway, zombies are cool. How did we what? start talking about zombies from the goddamn Zodiac Killer? Like, what is know. happening? Listen, <laughs> I'm eating barbecue chips and drinking wine, so you can't ask me these questions. What kind of wine are you drinking? Are you are you more of a red wine or white wine drinker? I am ashamed I don't know this, but I feel like we're always drinking cocktails or beer when I'm with you. I drink a lot of red wine. Okay, good. Me too. We can remain friends. White wine okay. is bullshit. Every once in a while, I try to get back in, like, I'm like, you know what? I have a sophisticated palate now. I can handle this. Uh, I'm going to drink. I'm going to become a knowledgeable, sophisticated white wine drinker. And I'll get a bottle, and I'll have a couple glasses and be like, this isn't bad. And then I will just inevitably use the rest of it for cooking, and that's it. Because you're smart. Yeah. So I don't remember how we moved from Zodiac to Zombies, but this is what I will say, a closing they remark to Pius they both start with these. Uh, we here at All Things Alphabet Podcast, uh, we're all about alphabets. Um, actually, I would totally be a podcast where you just, every week, you have a letter like A and A, and then you just talk about A things and then B things. I don't know. It would only have 26 episodes. So they both start with Z, but also I would say Zodiac is very famous for that, for wearing a hood which is really creepy. It's very, like, it depersonalizes him. He doesn't seem like a human anymore. Um, but, and zombies depersonalizing, what does it mean to be human? That's our connection. Enough. And but he's a top predator of a serial killer. Yes. Uh, or he is just some dude, which brings me to my last theory. I don't know very much about it because I never read this book, and I don't even have the name right now because I'm the worst but I'm going to edit it in. So this is why I like this theory, because I think it's kind of funny. I used to live in Baton Rouge, and right when I moved there, this guy from Baton Rouge wrote a book that was essentially like, my deadbeat dad is the Zodiac Killer. And he had, like, a picture of his dad and a name and, like, the timeline matched up. And I think he had, like, some weird item that he gave to police or something. I don't know too many details about it. I just think it's funny that someone from Baton Rouge was like, it's my stupid dad. (laughs) But then, like, that also means that any of us, any person can make us question our security and also make us question our humanity. Also, again, relates back to zombies. Yeah. Zombies are the same as serial killers. Well, and that's also the real, like, if you are a serial killer like Zodiac or Golden State Killer who's just caught or whoever, yes, the people you murder are your victims and their families are your victims, but also so are all those people who, like you say, now we question our own humanity or now we question, I think last podcast I asked you, would it be worse to know that your partner was a serial killer or to be totally blindsided and, like, Everyone who interacts with Gary Ridgway has that thought. You know what I mean? Like, now they're like, shit. So, like, it's, yeah, if you are that kind of dickish person who kills people or hurts people, you your victims are so much more than that. Yeah, I mean, what gets scary to me is when you think about, like, serial killers, like, have a fan club. And it makes me a little bit guilty of talking about them or reading about them, like, 
if you think about it, like, they have a legacy that lives on, and there's some people that, like, really get into serial killers. And I don't mean, like, you and I, we do this as a hobby, and we talk about shit because we're those kind of people. I mean, like, there are people that end up, like, marrying serial killers in prison. Um, yeah, Charles Manson got married, like, just a couple years before he died. Yeah, I mean, it's like, the victimization just continues to be perpetuated. Meanwhile, the victims get, like, left in the wayside. Like, how much do we really know about the people that got killed in the same way that we know about, like, Zodiac, the the mythical thing? You know what I mean? It's a complicated place to exist in. Yeah, and I will say I think that sort of weird cult or fan base around serial killers, that could be its own episode. I sounded so Midwestern there. Did you hear that? It's the one episode, you, you know. <laughs> do you want to go get a pop after that? Yeah, uh, we go to the, the Wawa or uh, the Aldi's, get both some pops and some sodas. Do you want to put uh, the bake in the garage? The ba- what? Now you're going, you're going Boston. Oh, what was the joke? Is like, if you lost your khakis, then unfortunately you're without pants but if you lost your khakis then you don't have a set of car keys and you can't drive away <laughs> i <laughs> one <laughs> true that's the boston joke and two <laughs> i love that you did not try the accent at all <laughs> you just explained what's funny about it <laughs> Bugologist 
and also being an English major. And one of the big things that I was really into was geology. And I passed up an opportunity to go see a real volcano when I was in college. So I want to talk to you about things that explode. And I'm going to start with volcanoes. This is a nice connection to the last episode when we talked about uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. (laughs) Well, this is even better because I'm also going to be able to talk about zombies very soon, and you're going to lose your shit. Oh my gosh, zombies exploding. So, um, so what I want to talk to everybody about is things in general that explode, but things that explode that are all connected to each other. And we're going to talk about different types of explosions. So let's talk about the obvious, which is I'm going to talk about volcanoes. I was really fascinated by volcanoes uh, in my college years and also in my younger years because there's nothing more terrifying then the idea of a mountain getting pissed off and, like, blowing out its anger at the world. Yeah, like, have you seen the pictures of Mount St. Helens before and after? It's, like, this nice country mountain, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, it changed. Like, you think of mountains as these huge permanent fixtures, and then they're like, we're just going to, yeah, get angry and spit some stuff and show you that you're wrong. No, it's like a hardcore fuck you. Like... (laughs) Um, but also, at the same time, volcanoes are kind of beautiful because they are, in some ways, architects of life. Like, volcanic soil is very nutritious. It helps create a lot of life forms. And Yeah, fact, that's part of why Hawaii is Hawaii, right? Exactly. So, not only is more than 80% of the Earth's surface uh, origins from volcanoes, but the specific type of volcano, a shield volcano, which is kind of interesting. A shield volcano is like lava flows and it cools to form like a gently sloping dome. This is the same type of volcano that created the Hawaiian island chain. And more importantly, soft serve ice cream lava. Yeah, it's like you know, it's the, it's the volcano that you build in third grade when you're doing a science oh, yeah. fair. That's exactly the kind of volcano it is. It's like, oh, look, lava, kind of, oh, God. Oh, wait, you're cool already, no problem. So this kind of volcano is interesting, too, because it's a it's like a gentle giant. In fact, the volcano that exploded in Hawaii is known as a gentle volcano, and many people could, like, throughout history, walk up this volcano and be like, oh, shit, look at the lava, really cool, ah, dangerous, and then, like, all right, just going to walk back, no big deal. Don't do that, people. That's, like, I remember one time I was in New York City in Central Park, and there was a raccoon, first of all, out during the daytime, which is not good, but it was, like, eating trash on a bench, and people were, like, getting really close to it, like, trying to take pictures, and I wanted to be like, that is still a wild animal. Yes, it's cute, obviously. Yes, it's is awesome, but, like, don't go near it. Nature is designed to kill you. I mean, definitely words of wisdom, but for years and years and years and years and years, the volcano, which I'm not going to even try to pronounce, that exploded on the big island of Hawaii, was used as, like, an example of a gentle giant. And that volcano, despite many people in the mainland's understanding, erupts very constantly, like, so constantly that it was part of potentially my package while I was in school, to maybe go see an active volcano. Like, like, but just little farts kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it is 
like lava comes out of it and people are like oh shit lava but it's like not a big deal there's no tephra or anything so mm. well, let's talk about pompeii a little bit oh yes and let's, yes let's. <laughs> let's talk about why what happened to pompeii is not nearly as terrifying as you think oh no it's so terrifying though so reality if you're standing on land you're probably standing on soil whether it's sea level or below sea level. So if you're like swimming in the ocean and you touch a little sand, that shit is probably from a volcano. Now, there was a place, everybody knows what happened with Pompeii, right? And I'm going to give you like the really drunk, uninteresting version of it, which is volcano exploded. It's ancient Greece. Wait, ancient ancient Greece. Same difference. Ancient Romans. <sighs> I'm kidding. Thank you. They're there different. Go. That's the word. Shit fucking exploded in Italy. Shit fucking landed in ancient fucking Rome. But Pompeii is a popular tourist site where you can see, like, the remnants of an ancient civilization simply because of the volcano that exploded in Italy. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Quick history lesson since you've been there. What is the name of the volcano? Uh, Mount Vesuvius. What happened to Pompeii when Mount Vesuvius exploded? It was a town, and they got buried in ash. But it buried them really fast, and so it preserved things like people's skeletons and wall paintings and the whole city. And how far away, roughly, was Pompeii from Mount Vesuvius? Oh, not far. I mean, I think it was fairly close. I feel like you're going to tell me, though. No, no, come on. Um, well, some of my classmates, I study abroad, and some of my classmates climbed Mount Vesuvius, but me and my friends stayed and drank wine on a rooftop instead. Um, so I'm going to say, like, less than 100 miles away. Less than 50 miles away. Oh, man, you don't even know how close you are. No, so, I'm just super hedging my bets by guessing a large number that will certainly contain the right answer. <laughs> Pompeii was in the surrounding area that was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius, uh, roughly four to six miles away from Mount Vesuvius. Oh, shit. Yeah, that is that is super close. But that... Well, that, um, that definitely explains me and also my terrible guess that instead of climbing Mount Vesuvius, and going on a pleasant little hike in a pretty, like, rainforest-type jungle, I was like, nah, I'm just going to stay behind and drink wine. Um, <laughs> no, which no, might no. explain why my guess was 50 miles instead of four. So I want to point out that most people measure Pompeii from the ash wall, which was four to six miles from Mount Vesuvius. So you're not wrong. Pompeii was really fucking close to Mount Vesuvius. It was insanely close to Mount Vesuvius. And you're right. It preserved the asphalt itself, preserved a lot of things in Pompeii, including basically the cast of human bodies. Yeah, those are really spooky. This is a great way to unite our travels. Mm-hmm. What I want to talk to you about is not what happened to Pompeii, but happened to a city much, much, much closer than Pompeii was to Mount Vesuvius. There was a city called Herculaneum. And oh, yeah. And fact checkers out there can feel free to uh, correct my pronunciation of that. Putting your fingers together and, like, doing the Italian shake? Yes, of course. Okay. That's 
you don't want to be corrected for that because that's pretty obvious. So Herculaneum was like way, way closer to Mount Vesuvius than Pompeii. But somehow Pompeii gets all this claim and popularity, and I feel like part of it is due to the fact that Pompeii is a lot easier to say. But <laughs> so people in Pompeii had enough alert that they could, of course, evacuate the city. And the people that remained in Pompeii died a terrible fate, which was basically suffocation from ash from the volcano. Yeah, that reminds me of, like, hurricanes. Have you heard that um, when a hurricane is expected to make landfall and it has a woman's name, that fewer people evacuate? Because <laughs> they're like, oh, girls can't do that much damage. So that's why they would say, like, uh, I don't know if they said this when you were in North Carolina, but they're like, oh, if it's a woman, she's going to be the worst hurricane. But it's because more people stay behind and don't take it seriously. I, you know, I don't know this myth because I lived in the Piedmont in North Carolina, which meant that I was part of the drunken population that stood outside and, like, swigged some moonshine and be like, bring it on, motherfucker, no matter what. What is the movie where he's, like, driving a boat and yelling at storm. Is that Forrest Gump or am I just making that up? Wait, no. Didn't he yell at the storm? He was definitely doing a boat thing during the storm because that's when all the shrimp came. But I... No. Oh, no. Lieutenant Dan was yelling at the storm. Lieutenant Dan. Yes. That was Yeah. So you you were like Lieutenant Dan. Like, you're out there with no legs. They grew back. Um, But you had no legs and you were just like getting drunk and screaming and being like, screw you, hurricane. Yes, a lot like that. You had a different voice then, too. (laughs) Even during my first flood, I was just like that. But (laughs) very similar. I think I mentioned earlier that I moved to Baton Rouge, and when I moved there, me and the other people who are not from the South were like, what do we do during hurricane season? And people were like, stay indoors and get drunk. Like, that's literally what people said. If there's a hurricane coming here, that's what you do. Yep, that sounds about right. I'm glad that generations upon generations upon generations of wisdom has been passed along. Yeah, that they're they're keeping the old ways intact. So, okay now, Pompeii. People in Pompeii suffered pretty terribly. You know, they breathed in ash and they suffocated. Um, yeah, hot hot suffocation doesn't sound like a good thing to do. Yeah, it's terrible. But the thing Although, is, if you are going to start an '80s like hair metal band. Hot suffocation, not a bad name. Hashtag give us credit. <laughs> the same. When, when you start your foreigner cover band called Hot Suffocation, check it and see. Uh, <laughs> hashtag give us credit. So, <laughs> volcanoes don't operate the way that people think they do. Like, it's not like explode in the fury and lava comes rushing down. The world is terrible. And, like, that's the end of it. Like, hurricanes are pretty simple. Like, terrible rainstorm comes in, maybe you get in the eye of the storm, and then, like, the rainstorms continue to be terrible. Volcanoes aren't basic. Like, volcanoes are very primal in a way that people don't understand, which is they're very unpredictable. When I decided to take this trip to Hawaii, I knew the risks that I was taking. And I also understood that one eruption is not the only eruption. Uh, Volcanoes can erupt multiple times and sometimes the eruptions are just simply lava comes out and it slowly comes down the volcano in this really graceful sexy manner and then sometimes it comes out it looks like maybe the volcano is having like some like digestive problems it's a little fucking blocky 
And sometimes it's, it's explosive, like the worst diarrhea that you've ever had in your life, and it just, like, goes everywhere. A recap of our conversations, sex dreams, diarrhea. Dreams so. and diarrhea all together. It's called Tapra. It's called Tapra. Tapra. And like this. Okay. From now on, if I ever have a stomachache, I'm going to be like, I've got a little Tapra going on, guys. So Tapra is when there are explosive materials coming out of volcanoes other than just lava. So like boulders and gas, which you can adjust metaphorically whenever you want. But Tapra yeah, is a big fucking you, deal. If you drink too much or you eat like some bad food, you got the Tapra. Yeah. You got the Tephra. So, <laughs> explosive, need, needless to say. But, like, <laughs> a lot of people that I talk to have a concept of volcanoes having a much larger range than they do and also being far more subdued than they actually are. Let's go back to Pompeii. Pompeii smothered in ash, people suffocated because Mount Vesuvius had already erupted. What people didn't expect is the additional eruptions that came from Mount Suvius. Mm. And I want to point out that Mount Suvius is considered an inactive, not volcano, a uh, volcano because it's been 800 years since it's been erupted. So if you feel oh. uncomfortable living by Mount Vesuvius, you might, you might reconsider your life. And here's why. How long, how long does it have to go without erupting before becoming inactive? ridiculous uh, amount of years. Like, 800 is a lot of years, so it's no longer <laughs> considered a volcano. I mean, I guess 800 is kind of a long time or whatever. I'm not a scientist, but I would really like scientists in our, in our listenership to speak up about this, because what I, from what I understand, 800 is, like, a moderate consideration for the number, but I'm also no pro. I only have oh. the internet and my uh, bachelor degree education behind me here. Yeah, and and you know, to be fair, our attention span is eh. volcanoes, explosions, lava, fire gods, whatever. <laughs> so people in Pompeii suffered a terrible death, but the people in this Hercules fucking town <laughs> suffered something. Fireboard. So volcanoes can fucking explode. And Mount Vesuvius is not shy about exploding. It's not the big island of Hawaii, Kilauea, or however you pronounce that fucking volcano. It's not I'm a polite sure eruptor. You, I think you nailed it. Kilauea? Yeah. It's not a polite eruptor. It's not like, oh, excuse me, I didn't mean for that to come out. It's more like, fuck you, and just explosions everywhere. That's fucking Vesuvius. So Vesuvius has no manners. But more importantly, what's interesting and terrifying to me is how the people in Hercules Town fucking died. Uh, uh, before you get there, I just want to say that describing a volcano as having no manners is possibly the most southern thing I've ever heard you say. It's like, you know, everyone is like the stereotypical, bless their hearts, but they also will say things like, he means well, which also means like, He's a damn idiot. But to say he has no manners is just that, like, sort of cartoonish minimizing that I'm just like, mm, that's delightful. <laughs> I'm also from the South. You're welcome. But yep, anyway. you're, from the, you're from the Cacalax. Cacalax. And from the Superior Carolina, if you ask me, but that's no matter. Superior, yes, of course. Uh, so anyway, tell me how Hercules died. So Hercules Town. So same thing, like, poof. 
explosion and everybody around was like, uh, a little shitty, but some people evacuated. A small proportion of human beings didn't, along with Pompeii. Because everybody talked about Pompeii was like, oh, it was all of a sudden, but no, it might not be the first eruption that does you in, but that second one is a fucking doozy. So what happened was Vesuvius had a second eruption, much like Kilauea had a second eruption while it was in Hawaii, and while that plume went 30,000 feet in the air, it had no effect on me in Oahu, but people <laughs> in Hercules land were hit by a cloud of gas um, that was about a hundred, well, I take that back, about a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Do you know oh what my God. to the body at a thousand feet Fahrenheit, or a thousand degrees Fahrenheit, <laughs> not feet? It was Here's a thousand feet tall hot. <laughs> it was so tall. Uh, I don't, I imagine your lungs just become like little hamburger patties. Skin literally can vaporize. <gasps> no. Your your brains boil. And no. your explode. <gasps> your your brain literally explodes inside of your head. So basically what you described is the part in Indiana Jones uh and the Holy Grail when the uh oh I'm sorry, it's not the Holy Grail. It's the Ark of the Covenant, and the Nazis have the Holy Grail, and then they look at it, which they're not supposed to do, and their faces melt off. It's, well, it's a melting or explosion. Yeah, it's like melting skin and skull explosion at the same time, and then boiling brains pop out. That is disgusting. But also, it's so poetic. Like, you have a volcano that has tephra, which means it literally explodes material into the world and you have a As body do we all from time to time yes you have a body that literally explodes tephra which is brain and skull because you're exposed to gases at a thousand degrees fahrenheit like people pretty much died instantly in hercules town hmm. and i mean it is kind of like a nice it, this uh, parallelism between the two is, is kind of poetic. But also, it's it's terrifying because, like, when I heard about, I mean, this is just maybe the level of dumb or smart I am, I can't decide, but, like, I, <laughs> now I found out about the volcano, and I calculated the miles distance, and I was like, you know what, I'm pretty safe. In the worst-case scenario, I'll encounter some bog. But in reality, like, nature isn't playing by your rules, you know. It's not one explosion. It's not two explosions. Sometimes it's 20 explosions. And it's entirely unpredictable. But Kilauea, known as the gentle giant, for years has just, like, accidentally farted when in, when this time it was fucking explosive diarrhea. And that shit's a big fucking deal. Yeah, that's true. Well, and it's also interesting that, like, unpredictable, that they don't know when it's going to just be belching versus when it's going to be, like, full-on Hercules town. When it's full-on diarrheal. Full-on diarrheal. Also, I've got to say, uh, I'm proud that we've made it this far without making an orgasm joke. Not so proud that we've made so many poop jokes. 
However, we did talk about sex dreams, and we're really disappointing <laughs> our listeners, but not somehow connecting orgasms to volcanoes. I mean, just go back and listen to Jennifer saying it can erupt multiple times and think about orgasms and make your own jokes. It's a choose-your-own-orgasm-joke-adventure time. But obviously, we're not talking about penile orgasms. Yeah, well, everybody knows what you they're not unpredictable in multiple. <laughs> I know, and yet the volcano is a little bit phallic, but not exactly phallic. No. Oh, this is the grossest thing I've ever talked about. <laughs> no, that's anyway. not true. Uh, I'm a runner. Runners do gross things. Oh, my God. I do want to talk about runners, and there are different types of explosions. Yeah, let's just, you know what? Whatever you think is happening is happening, and let's move on from there. Politely moving on. So volcanoes explode. Human human brains can explode. But I want to talk about the Lincoln assassination. What? (laughs) So I don't know how much you know about the Lincoln assassination, but... What gets left out in detail is, like, it was kind of like a double date situation, like, Lincoln and his boo, and then Army Major Henry Rathbone and his boo were all the fucking play. Yeah, they're like, this is the new hot shit, uh, you know, everybody's seen it, no spoilers, we gotta go this weekend. Pretty much. So, like, everybody knows the thing, play is going on. Lincoln gets shot in the head, brains go everywhere, wife freaks mm-hmm. out. But what, like, a lot of times gets lost out of the story is Henry Rathbone. Oh, I don't know this name, but I know a lot about the Lincoln assassination. So the fact that I don't know this name is making me feel scared already because I think it's going to be gross and sad. He's kind of an interesting character because he was sitting in the same place as Lincoln and his wife. They were all watching this play, and then Booth comes up, pow, right in the head, and um, Henry, our dearest Army major, goes running after Booth, and as he is running after Booth, he ends up getting uh, seriously wounded himself, Hmm. and he ended up blaming himself for the success of Booth's murder of Lincoln. Aw. So, like, you know, Presley gets shot. Army Major stands up. He goes, not today, Satan. (laughs) Running after him. Satan goes, oh, but honey, boom, boom. It is is today, Satan. (laughs) And there's the the Major. The Major goes, oh, I am greatly, you know, defeated. But this is where shit gets sad. Army Major Henry Rathborn blamed himself for Lincoln's assassination, like deeply blamed him for that, blamed himself. And on 12-23-1883, he tried to murder his kids. His wife tried to stop him. He shot and stabbed his wife. Oh, my God. Trying to protect her children. And then as he fatally wounded his wife, he decided to stab himself. I'm going to take this back for a second. He stabbed himself five times in the chest. How do you stab yourself? How does your, like, 
lizard brain self-preservation not stop in and be like, hey, hey, hey. Not so much. Holy shit. Five times. The theory was he was so wrapped with guilt from trying to protect the president from assassination that he's that when he finally fucking lost it, he stabbed himself five times to end his oh. torment. When the police found him, he was talking some shit about like people hiding behind the pictures in his house. <gasps> oh my god! What on earth? So a man who, in general, was kind of a hero, like an army major, and then also literally tried to stop the man who murdered the president from fleeing, lost his fucking mind, tried to kill his family, successfully murdered his wife, talked about, like, people in the pictures, like, hiding behind pictures, but then also he was committed to an insane asylum and talked about, like machines and the wall, like, putting gas into his room. Oh, my gosh. Not only was he committed to the asylum for the rest of his life, but he died there. Oh, this was a real bummer. He was, and here's what really hurts. He was stabbed by Booth when he was trying to prevent him from fleeing from the scene. He was, like, pretty wounded. And they feel like that wound actually caused and triggered a lot of the mental illnesses that he experienced. Like, it wasn't like a, oh, you failed to save the president kind of thing. Like, no, there was a physical injury that caused the mental meltdown of this man who was formerly a hero in the nation. Who barely gets mentioned, by the way, in any type of textbook. Yeah, I've never heard of him before. Yeah, well, it's also like, okay, so it's like PTSD and guilt on top of what sounds like schizophrenia or some other crazy thing, like people behind the pictures in his house. That is, if you are considering writing a ghost movie, that is something to consider because that is one of the spookiest things I've ever heard. Well, and it's crazy. Like, how do you measure a man? Do you measure a man by the good he's done in the world, or do you measure a man by the bad he's done in the world? And how do you measure the bad that a man has done in the world when you consider that some of the evil he inflicts is due because of evil inflicted on him? Yeah, that, like, reminds me of last time where we were talking about uh Dennis Raider three two three and uh <laughs> right and his daughter and that idea of like reconciling like oh this person was a good father to me but then he also murdered people in these horrific ways. Like how do you how do you balance that? And also my question for you is how do you connect that to volcanoes? Easy enough. <laughs> I just want to point You're out like, listen up, was, bitch. Listen up. This is how. I just want to point out that if it wasn't for the internet and some hard scholarly archives, this man would have been written out of history, which is terrifying to me because from what I can tell, he doesn't deserve to be written out of history. No. But well, he, I think we were talking earlier about, like, if you're a killer, your victims are more than just the people you kill in their family, right? And this is another example of that where, like, John Wilkes, this guy is, I feel like this guy is a victim of John Wilkes Booth as well. Exactly. Volcanoes explode. You have victims. Herculeum, the city of Hercules, gets overshadowed by both Vesuvius and Pompeii. 
Oh, sure. And now you have the poor Army Major Henry Rathbone, who literally chased after a man who caused his president's brain to explode with a gun. Gets omitted mostly from history. Now I see it. Damn, that is, snap, that is some great connecting work. But I'm not done with my conversations about exposing yet. Oh, my because gosh. Okay. our history, our world is not connected just by the land we live on, the people that we live in, right? But to the creatures that are among us. <sighs> so I'm going to talk to you about uh, Mesospora cicadadina. Oh, no. I don't know what it is, is, but I'm afraid. It's a type of fungus. Funny enough, you're right about some of the things here. Let's talk about the South. <laughs> I'm from the South. We have a lot of cicadas. We call them June bugs. I actually have a pair of June bun- bug earrings that oh, I wear no. on a rare occasion. So, cicadas, uh, if you haven't... Cicadas are so loud. Like, I now that I don't live in the South anymore, I am constantly blown away by how quiet it is at night because cicadas are not just screaming. I have to tell you, I lived with cicadas for a long time in my life, but I didn't, like, feel cicadas. Wait, you lived with them, like, in your house as pets? Oh, I mean, they're they're everywhere. They're like cave crickets. Like, if you have a basement, you have cicadas and cave crickets in there. Like, the loud... Cave crickets? Is that like... Is that like a euphemism, like palmetto bugs? No. Cave crickets are literal crickets that have legs like spiders that are terrifying to behold. Stop. I've never heard of such a thing, and that is so scary. I just got, like, fear shivers. Ooh, crickets with spider legs. And they jump at you. No. This is like a Lovecraft thing. That's not acceptable. They, like, damp, moist fucking dark bullshit environments that have, like, lots of humidity and warmth, which makes basements in the South, like, ideal for them. Ooh, yeah, that's why no one in the South has a basement, because it would just be filled with nightmare creatures. Bitch, I had a basement, and that was where my bedroom was. I also had a basement bedroom, and it was full of wolf spiders. Which are giant spiders that will run at you. So, basement. They are actually very aggressive, so they're a little bit scarier than cave crickets. Cave crickets will just jump because, like, you made a move that they don't like, and they're like, ah, shit, you're going to eat me. Well, wolf spiders are territorial, so they'll be like, who the fuck is in my room? And you're like, it is my room. Yeah, they're mean as hell. But anyway, mm-hmm. cicadas are kind of cool because, like, they, in their life cycle and you can read all the technical bullshit, but they spend a great deal of time underground mm-hmm. before they're mature, and then they come out, and they make a lot of noise, and then they molt yeah, they a little bit, and then, like, maybe you have a friend that makes, like, the molted body into a pair of earrings. Maybe you don't. They're big and they're loud, but you don't see them very often. Right. They're just, yeah. they're bugs. They're like leaves that scream that you never see. Very similar. But... Interestingly enough, this fungus is sort of a way to connect all these things that we've been talking about. Because this fungus, what happens is that uh, in stage one, this, the fungus spores just uh, attach themselves to the exoskeleton of the cicadas. And what they do, which is kind of remarkable, is that they send compounds on the exoskeletons that indicate, like, it's time to infect the cicada. Mm. 
and then they infect the cicada. So this, oh my god, this is going to be so full, full circle, you're going to lose your shit. So the <laughs> cicada emerges from the ground as a beautiful cicada loud making thing and makes all its loud noises. <laughs> but in stage two, something weird happens when the males, the males start acting strange. What they do is they they flick their wings in a way that's only accustomed for the females do, to do. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm a pretty girl. And, like, all these other cicadas that are dudes come up and be like, hey, girl, what's up? <laughs> Your wings be looking fine, girl. You want What's good, fun? boo? What's good? And then the other cicadas are like, just flicking these wings. And then, like, <laughs> dudes come up and be like, oh, you're a dude cicada, though. But it doesn't matter. You know why it doesn't matter? Because those motherfuckers are already infected by proximity. So this fungus compels male cicadas to act as females, and they end up infecting other males. So you're saying the fungus makes them gay? I mean, a little bit, but not exactly. (laughs) Like, there's no fucking involved that I can tell. This still allows all male cicadas to transmit the fungus through sex. Like these male cicadas that got attracted to the male cicadas that are not quite female cicadas, they're carrying these fungus spores over and they're like humping these female cicadas. And the female cicadas are like, oh yeah, I like it, whatever. But the female cicadas then are just like, yeah, I got some dip from that other cicada, but it's not good enough. So like, if he can still like fuck me later, that'd be cool. And then like this other male cicada is like, yeah, bitch, you like this? You want the cicada dick? And then he ends up with the fungus, and so forth and so on. Like it's literally an STD, but for cicadas. So that's gonna say you're writing bug porn right now. Like the worst, most uninteresting bug porn ever. You'd be like, oh my god, hold my antenna back. Hold well, my it's antenna a, back. I like it when you pull my antenna. It's a rough draft. <laughs> so these dude cicadas are like pulling the female cicadas' antennas while they're oh like, yeah, god. daddy, give it to me. Um, they're all getting like this fungus STD and they're sharing it with each other. So what happens in stage two infection is like these spores begin to fill the cicada abdomen and it becomes the most fucked up thing ever. They become basically like zombies. Once the spores fill the abdomen, they kind of like explode out of the abdomen and they like shatter all their sex organs and basically like where their butt's supposed to be. Like they have no ass, they have no dick, they have no like cicada vagina or whatever it is. It's all gone. This is what happens when you get crabs. But like these cicadas like are pretty much half cicadas. Like they don't have their shit. They just have these fungus spores and they're like, yeah, but I still need to fuck. So they go around trying to fuck other cicadas, and the other cicada is like, yeah, you look a little weird, but I'll still hit that. And so they're still hitting, Ooh. like, the Ooh. sterile, like, fungus-laden, like, no-genital fucking cicadas, and they're spreading this fungal disease around all the cicadas. And, of course, like, every time they get it, they eventually, like, fucking explode from their butt parts and their genitals, and they have no cicada parts anymore. So... <laughs> And it's kind of crazy. Like, what makes it so nefarious is, like, what makes this parasite so effective is that it renders, like, the – it makes the cicadas sterile. They're just 
sexually and evolutionary, like, unimportant. And yet, this cycle has existed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They're kind of like zombies. The fungus takes over their behaviors, their sexual behaviors, and, and implants themselves. They cause, like, this bodily explosion. They continue the cycle and still the natural native non-zombie population of cicadas persist. Oh, that's crazy. That's also like, you know, the Zika virus is sexually transmittable. Right. Yeah. It's all so, fucking scary, right? <laughs> seriously, we are becoming more zombie and cicada-like every day. So anyways, those are my explosions. Sans oh. orgasms that I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification on what you meant by my explosions. <laughs> Uh, Let me tell you about my personal orgasms. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Oh, Jesus, no. Or Satan. <laughs> just edit all of that out. Jennifer, did you learn something today? I did. One, people really need to be afraid of everything that's in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. We're here to induce anxiety. I mean, seriously, like... There's nothing that's fucking innocent. Like, there really isn't anything. Nature is out to get you. Like, for real, out to get you. But then, like, just hypothesizing, like, think about somebody who's, like, wrongly accused of being a Zodiac killer. Like, do you think that doesn't impact that person's life at all, no matter how long time has gone on? It absolutely does. So, like, yeah, be fucking afraid of any everything and always be on your fucking toes. <laughs> Watch out for fucking zombies because they're real. Yeah, uh, bugs are the enemy is a lesson I relearned today. Speaking of things that are innocent, what about my dream version of John Mulaney? I mean, only John Mulaney can speak to that in his not exact innocence. Maybe Fair. maybe he's really rude. Maybe he's the kind of person that orders the spaghetti and then he gets the spaghetti and he's like, I didn't order spaghetti. I ordered lasagna. Like, no, all of you can go die. Oh, all right. Well, servers of the nation tell us if John Mulaney orders the spaghetti and then sends it back and wants lasagna. But I, I hope not. I really, I really hope he's a nice guy and your dream is true. Uh, hashtag dream big guys. Dreams do come true. <laughs> Dreams do come true. All Things Terror is research recorded and edited by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. We are available on Gmail or Twitter at All Things Terror, and we're on Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. It's a good place to get a hold of us. Stream us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Show notes and streaming also available on SoundCloud. Daniel, by the way, is Jennifer's husband, and he is not ambidextrous. If you've made it this far, guys, thank you from the bottom of our tiny black little hearts. My friend Clint hops in to edit our episodes starting next week, and they sound way better. Hashtag dream big guys. See you next time.